Hi, you're listening to Under the Radar. Between the main episodes where we feature our big band or artist interviews is this space where I shed some light about the making of the current episode and read a review or email we might have received from you. We also invite a listener who has written us a review to come on the show and chat about the episode and what resonated with them. So if you're interested in being featured, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or you can email me at celine.teoblocky at undertheradarmag.com. If you didn't catch that, it's in our show notes. Today, we're talking about October's episode featuring Bay Area-based artist Christia Cabral, who makes music under the name Spelling. Spelling is spelled all caps with three L's. Considering she worked as a substitute teacher, I'd like to think of it as a tongue-in-cheek jab at her ambitions to be a teacher. Spelling's music is never explicitly about race, but she admits that her ancestry comes out in her work. The tape I want to play is from our discussion about Revolution, uh, a song of hers that features protest sounds and is about the labor that is involved in being a songwriter and having a career in music. Anyway, here's the tape. So what's the audio at the end there? What's that outro audio that you play? It's from a few different things. Some of it I made myself, uh-huh. but the voices that you can hear, I got it from this website that's an archive of, it's a map that you can move around and you can like zoom in on areas and find protest sounds or archives. So I sampled a bunch of different ones, put it together and kind of manipulated it with my equipment and mixed it in. So if you've stumbled on this podcast and made it thus far, please go listen to the episode. If Spelling's music is not usually what you might gravitate to, all the more you need to hear her story and the compelling worlds she builds for her listeners. And now we read a review. This is from A. Cole. The review's title is, Spelling episode was so cool. I really enjoyed the spelling episode. Christia's music is so fascinating and definitely, as she expresses on the episode and as she hopes, helps the listener escape the reality of Earth. Sometimes I feel stagnant in my music choices and it was cool to hear something so experimental and that this work has been successful. I also just love the way Celine weaves us through the interview and how the music is interwoven into their conversation. It made me feel so immersed in the music and Christia's story behind the music. (laughs) And today we have our very, very kind reviewer here. My name is Alexandra, and I am a podcaster as well. I host a podcast called The Pod Broads, which is a podcast all about women in podcasting. I interview women in the industry about their work, their life, how those two things intersect. And really, I got into this space primarily to amplify the voices of women, and my podcast is an extension of that. But my other work is I do PR and marketing for podcasters as well. And it all stemmed from my blog called Podraland, which started as just writing about podcasts that I love and that I wanted people to listen to. 
Very cool. Let's go to the episode on spelling. What did you think of her music festival? I, I know that it's not mainstream. Yeah. I was surprised to have like so many references in my mind pop up as I was listening through. And I have to admit, I'm like a little intimidated to talk about it because when I was listening to the episode, I was like, oh, wow, they're pulling such like great specific references and like really unpacking it in such a cool way. And <laughs> there were so many moments where I was like, is this really where my brain is going right now? Like the tonality of her voice in certain parts, not every single part, because she can do so much, so much with her voice, which I thought mm. was really cool. Like for in one moment, I was getting like Britney in terms of like tonality and like mm -hmm. just like the sound of her voice. And then all of a sudden it would go into, you know, Broadway and <laughs> and then also like Evanescence. And then I love it. And there was also a song toward the end where it was giving me like Phantom of the Opera vibes. I just thought that it was such an interesting mix. And I don't know, it was kind of bringing me back to mm -hmm. my angsty teenage years, for sure. <laughs> and how I really feel like this last year, I've been tapping into that more because th <laughs> there was like a piece where she talked about that too. Like how yeah. sometimes you just have to like tap back into that. And I was like, yes. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to go to what you said about Spelling's origin story about her grandfather and like, and that oh, you yeah. know that you also had <laughs> a grandfather who said you had a beautiful voice. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I think that was a perfect example of how content resonates differently with people. And that was the first takeaway I had from the episode because the minute she was like oh yeah my grandpa would be the one who'd always talk about like me being a singer and oh she's gonna be a singer like she's a great singer like that kind of thing I was like right away that made me think about how I also have a grandfather who expressed that and he was like the first person to kind of identify that mm -hmm. I could sing and I do believe I was somewhere in elementary school and we had like a home karaoke thing that I got for Christmas. And I think I was just like messing around on it and just like singing on it, obviously. <laughs> and my grandparents were still like mm -hmm. there for Christmas. At some point, my mom told me later on, and I don't know if she actually told me when I was younger, but when I could like sing along with someone else's melody, like I was good. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was like, yeah. I had a couple instances of people being like huh that actually sounded good and then now I look back I'm like why were you surprised um but <laughs> but then but then in high school we had this production that would happen once a year called rock and roll revival and I ended up auditioning my sophomore year ended up like getting one of the lead roles and then like subsequent nice. years I was saying yeah but I think that was when my mother told me that my grandpa was like, he's, he identified that you could sing like way back when. And then that's when she, I'm pretty sure that's when she shared the story with me. And I don't know, it was just a nice, a nice little piece. And I guess it made me feel a little connected to her. I think she said that her grandfather passed away now yeah. and my grandfather's still alive. He's struggling with dementia right now. And so, oh, sorry to hear. Yeah. It's, it's tough even through that his piano was one of the things that he was able to remember how to do, 
even while like his memories have been diminishing and he's having a harder time with that. It wasn't his like work, but I mean, he would do whole symphonies. I would just be used to hearing him get on the piano and just start going like, (laughs) you know, like just like crazy, like wild. I guess it's a piece of connection that I feel like I personally have with him. And I clearly got that from her too. Like I could tell that that was a part of it um even when she was like no this isn't what i'm gonna do but then it it did end up being like what she did and so i think it's cool because we think of that generational piece too of maybe sometimes the things that our like elders see that we either want to see or don't want to see at that point and how it can be kind of a bridge between like generations sometimes so i think that that's kind of cool yeah there's so much value in that So you sing and you were saying your partner makes music. How did the two of you meet and Mm -hmm. where did that sort of take you? Because do you guys still make music together? I met him while we were both actually teaching writing. I found out that he did music and I had previously done like different types of singing. Like I was in acapella in college. I did a production in high school where I would sing solos. That was kind of my foray into singing publicly. And in my early 20s, I was like, oh, I really want to like try and perform songs that I've written and Mm -hmm. you know being able to sing is one thing and being able to like even take on a persona and sing is one thing but being able to craft melodies for yourself and really Mm -hmm. like tap into your voice in that way is another thing and Mm -hmm. so I had met my partner his name's Carrie his like full stage name is Carrie Blue Mm -hmm. and we just like decided we wanted to try and write together one night. And I had tried to write with other people before as well and like come up with songs. And I remember it being really difficult. Mm. And when we worked together that first night, it was just, it was very easy. Mm. So that just kind of started our friendship and our initial creation of like an EP at the time. And I think there was kind of a moment where I really started to get more serious about podcasting. And then Mm -hmm. he's extremely serious about the music. He's actually dropping an album tomorrow that's fully self-produced except for like one song. And he runs like a music festival. So he'll like perform, but then also curate performances. And that's when I sang some of my original music, which was really cool and awesome and pre-pandemic. And so I haven't done it since... We don't write much together anymore just because I'm so immersed in my podcasting work that I just, it's more of a hobby for me. And for him, it's like his work and his Mm. drive and passion. And so there was that moment where we kind of realized that and I wanted to like respect that. But now he doesn't, like he produces the music for my podcast. So that's like another way that we've been able to work together but it's it's like an evolution of it there there were two moments as he was working on this album that he's just about to drop that I actually did almost end up singing on one of the tracks it's a song uh, kind of about a rough patch that we were going through and Mm -hmm. we are a creative couple and the work that we do is really personal and so we really work to try and figure out what boundaries we each have in terms of Mm. how much is shared, but also without like stifling the Mm. experience of the other person and being able to express it through art. And so with that song in particular, he it's called tell me what to do. And he came to me 
and was like, hey, like, what do you think about this? And, you know, there's there's certain lines in the song where I was like, mm. <laughs> like, yeah. had some feelings about it. Um, and and he was like recording it throughout the pandemic. And so it was like, you know, we we're in a one bedroom apartment. So just had to like give each other space to do that. But I almost I like wrote a verse for the song and was like singing it and like trying to make it work. And honestly, it just wasn't working. And yeah. we kind of had to have that moment of like, this isn't really working how we want it to, like just in terms of sound. Yeah. So he ended up uh, bringing on another friend who he's like collaborated with before and who's an artist based out of Australia. And she, I mean, she's a phenomenal singer. Um, and so <laughs> I wasn't mad that she was the one representing my side of the argument, quote unquote. Um, and and so she took over that. Here you go again, taking it out on me. Sometimes I don't think you're hearing the words you speak So let me tell you again I'm not trying to hurt you But I can't pretend like I can't see the end Getting caught in the moment Oh, I don't wanna find no one But there was a song he had called Thing And he kind of goes through Kind of a call and response with himself In kind of unpacking those moments of like what the fuck is a quarantine there's like a line about like 45 referring to donald trump you know talking about the government and what it did and didn't do during the pandemic and how it is treating black folks especially during Mm. the murder of george floyd and the aftermath I would say it's like a juxtaposition of like dealing with all of the thoughts, you know, we get bombarded with all of the images of the news and stuff. And that was like actually in the video that he did. That's kind of how he like opens the video. And then it kind of goes into his living room and we're all stuck inside. Right. Like it's like, it's, it's dealing with those thoughts, like height of shelter in place and Mm. struggling to manage all of these different pieces that are happening at once And then the chorus is like, I just need like a second to like process. But it's like, there's not time to process it. There's not space to process it. And like my part at the end was just about, Mm. you know, talking about how people feel really pent up and how like things could have been different if our government handled things differently. And if they were actually helping the people who live in this country. Mm. Um, actually did it really well and it was like very much intertwined with like pandemic feelings and also the Black Lives Matter protests from last summer and like it was just all very wrapped up in that and it like really resonated with a lot of people but there I kind of Mm -hmm. forget sometimes but I'm at the end of that song is like a voiceover of me talking he had like come up to me during a day in the kitchen where I was just like in a mood and he just like recorded me speaking very emotionally about just like what was going on i mean i don't think there's an easy one answer for everyone i think it's affected everyone differently um, based on what they're used to and how they cope and what we what they need um and i'm sure people are feeling isolated and pent up and frustrated and lonely and I don't think it's just coronavirus that's the thing it's it's coronavirus
coronavirus on top of what's going on in the government, and I don't know if the effects would have been as bad if we had just handled it better as a country. I need to be so much shit going on at and ended up like interlacing it that way so it's like it's just been cool to see how our collaborative moments have evolved in the spelling episode she too writes about similar issues in the song revolution i was able to appreciate that part of your conversation with her and just like hearing her music just in terms of the way that she's using sound and the layering of it because I liked hearing how she kind of took those different pieces of the protest sounds and kind of put them together. In the wake of George Floyd, many of us, no matter what the color of our skin, have had to really check our privilege and be aware of the systemic racism that we might somehow benefit from. Even for those of us who are not from America, like myself, just because we didn't think that America had a problem with racism anymore doesn't mean that now that we're here and we can see that there is a problem that we can avert our eyes, that we can now look away, we have to face up to it. As an outsider, as like somebody who grew up in another country, you just see like the 60s and like you think that's the high watermark and there's no racism in America because everybody that you know is black and like successful. So, you know, so like it doesn't make sense to me. And then I remember saying it to my friend and I was like, you know, I didn't even think that you had like racism in an America in that way because like you have your Bill Cosby's, you have all your like sporting heroes, you know, your musicians, they're all black. It's like you have no idea that this is going on. And my friend sort of said, really? You didn't think that there would be racism in America? And I was like, no. And it blows my mind that it's just like everybody else looks at me like I'm stupid. <laughs> I did some other thing in some of the podcasting people were saying, oh, Celine, that's very like naive of you. And I said, no, it's not naive of me. That's what you guys sell to the rest of the world. Mm. But then when you come and you live here, and of course now everybody... right." is like made aware of this reality and suddenly we have to talk to our kids about really uncomfortable things about race and white privilege we never had to discuss before. So like I wonder if you think about it in terms of if you have your kids, they would have a different experience to like growing up the way you did. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think it's also like, the race piece is it's only one piece of it you know like yeah he's black and I'm white but we also grew up in very different places Mm -hmm. and so that's also a thing like he grew up in the south and there are universal experiences to black folks and then there's also regional experiences and things that come into their identity because of what part of the country they grew up in and I did not grow up in the South. <laughs> I, I grew up in Maryland primarily. A lot of my family is from New York and, you know, their upbringing obviously impacts my upbringing. And so I just always like to mm. bring in that piece. I mean, there's so many other pieces of our identities that, that come together to kind of inform the way that we maybe think 
our children should be raised. It's been interesting to see over the course of our relationship, because we've been together now for a little over four and a half years, and even just how those conversations have started to evolve. And In what sense? You, you mentioned the piece about, you know, having to teach your kids about race and stuff. And I know that there were conversations in my household that were not being had that were having to happen in Carrie's household because he's black. And so I always think of that piece mm. of where people are like, oh, they're so young. Like, we shouldn't have to mm. talk to them about this. And I'm like, black kids have to think about that very early on because they are experiencing racism mm. at a very young age. Yeah. And, you know, so that's the privilege piece in terms of like whiteness. And mm. I also think about the fact that our kids would be mixed. And so their experience is also going to be different from both of our experiences. And neither one of us are going to fully understand what it means to be in between. Yeah. I mean, my kids will be beautiful and wonderful and have so many like, pieces of their identity and I also know that there are going to be people who try and make them see that it's a problem that they're mixed and that they're not allowed to exist in either identity but they're also always going to be viewed as black first mm -hmm. and so that has to be a part of how we're approaching helping them navigate the world. I mean, it's something that I'm sure I'll be ever learning in, but I I definitely think about that. And we very much talk about it regularly. <laughs> yeah. Like I grew up in the 80s where it was like, if you were mixed, it was like United Colors of Valentine. You know, it was just oh my like, goodness. oh, all the colors of the I world. haven't heard <laughs> that brand in so long. Wow, that's so funny. I know exactly what you're talking about, though. Um, <laughs> It's getting that age away. <laughs> um, but that's how we saw it, right? Yeah. You know, it was like it was like post-racism. And then now we're deep in the, oh, my God, you haven't even dealt with the 400 yeah. years of history. No, not a, yeah. Uh, and it's only now happening. It's so complex, this whole idea that, oh, you're mixed, you got the best of both worlds. Like, nah, actually. <laughs> in some circles and then in other circles, not so much, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. And like just come owning up to like that white privilege is like a big piece that I don't think for a long time we wanted yeah. to. Like, it's like, oh, no, no, no. You know, I worked really hard to get here. I was like, mm, actually. <laughs> I know. And, it's, and it doesn't mean you didn't work hard, but you, you had yes. certain things that were helping you. And that's not a bad thing to admit or acknowledge. You know, I think that people really struggle with that. And it, it's, I'm thinking back to you know, the ancestral piece um, that yeah. we were talking about earlier and and a part of her music. And I definitely just responded in terms of like, I really noted that part because I always love kind of talking about the transgenerational piece because mm. I know that that's something like specifically I talk a lot about transgenerational trauma and I always giggle because I'm like anyone who's like listening to this that knows me is like all right girl we get it um but <laughs> but <laughs> go for it <laughs> but like it's one of those things that I learned about that just kind of blew my mind a little bit when we think about so much that has not been talked about or discussed in America mm. there's just so much that has not been dealt with and if anyone listening has any understanding of 
the way trauma can manifest in an individual and on a collective level is just you can see so much how we're in the thick of that and have been and it's kind of in the phase of like just fully spiraling out Mm. but also like an unearthing of that wound finally is what I feel like this last year has been now that can only heal if it's properly dealt with Mm. I really liked that part that she brought up that connection that she expressed having because I think for a lot of people that connection is closed off and maybe for some it's because they don't know much of their history because their history was erased and for others it was repressed because the generations before them wouldn't share with them Mm. what actually happened in their family or you know the things that were maybe deemed shameful and you know we're now finding out that a lot of things deemed shameful happened to a lot of people and so I really liked that part and just how she you know bringing it back to her music too like how there was a part where you were asking her how she decided the lyrics for something was it and haunted she was, water yeah and mm-hmm. she was explaining how the lyrics came last and how it was more so like the different sounds like found her first and and i even now you know connecting it back to the beginning of our mm-hmm. conversation think about like when i would work with my partner carrie that would be a lot of what he would do. Like he would just kind of try sounds out. And I think I was really nervous to do that, like Mm. not really having words to go with it. When did you first kind of become cognizant of transgenerational trauma? So I studied English Lit for my undergrad degree and then also went back to get Mm. my master's in English literature. And I do believe it was probably in one of my grad school classes. I was reading a lot of black authors and, and at the time, like I was already really like deeply interested in trauma because I was unpacking my own Mm. like sexual trauma from childhood and just trying to like understand how that affected me. Then there was, you know, learning about a more collective understanding of trauma and how trauma passes through generations and Mm. I'm also part Jewish and so there's uh, been like a study specifically about transgenerational trauma with uh, Jewish people and specifically people who were in the Holocaust and how that's like impacted their families later on in generations after Mm. and I know there's an on being episode that I listened to that was talking with a researcher who was doing that and so all of this was just kind of happening around the same time I was just very deeply into learning about it that's partially what I ended up doing my thesis on I did it on a book that I love by Jasmine Ward who's one of my favorite authors it's called Sing Unburied Sing and part of that piece was definitely I would argue (laughs) her investigating transgenerational trauma specifically in America and specifically with black folks and white folks as well because I think sometimes what's missed in the conversation is you know we focus a lot on the victims but there's also a piece of it that's with perpetrators and how does that get passed down through generations if a piece of your history was tied to a line that was perpetrators inflicting the harm on people so it's very interesting and it's definitely I think helped me gain a better understanding of where we're at right now personally I found like it's been such a period of growth for so many people 
present company included. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel there's this sense of labor, which I think she talks about in the episode as well. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, we're just in this kind of really soul-sucking capitalist society where it's all about, like, excavating everything and then then dump it, we're, we're done with you. And I feel like this thing about just kind of labor, like we always need to have the Asian or the black or whichever minority marginalized group to actually do the mm-hmm. hard work. Like they will be the one in the diversity f- forums, like pushing forward what you, everybody else in the office should be discussing or paying attention to when it shouldn't be their labor. Like it's all of us. We're supposed to be the ones to take it on and like be good allies. And I feel like it's now happening. I think there's more people of that mindset. Mm-mm. And um, so you, you said like spellings music, it's not mainstream, but you kind of like the way the episode was put together, it was accessible to you. I mean, it's not like something that you would necessarily gravitate to, but it's interesting for you that there is like a, a voice like hers out in the world. Yeah, there definitely is. I think that just makes me excited that there are people who are doing something so different and who I think definitely are going to reach audiences that feel like they're not represented in what they're hearing on mainstream charts. I also just think it's dope, like how many references I got from her. And it also made me think, what are the references that I'm missing? Because my brain is going to all of these artists where it's also like these artists also got influences from people that like I'm not even super familiar with or not even just familiar with, but like can't identify as easily. And so hearing for her, like the influence, like the Afrofuturism and like things like that, like, like things that I just personally like can't speak on well or like know as much Mm. about, like, I think that that's super dope and there's like a need for that in the space that's cool i'm so glad you enjoyed the episode and thank you for coming and talking with me about this and tell the people where they can reach you i'm mostly active on instagram and twitter you can find me at podraland p-o-d-dot-d-r-a-l-a-n-d and then on twitter there's just no period but you'll find it Thank you, Alexandra Kolb. Please be sure to check out her podcast, The Pod Broads. She's a really warm and considered host. I hope you've all enjoyed this episode. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, apps like Overcast and Podchaser, wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss next month's episode. And to take us out, I'm going to play the track Think from Alexandra's partner, Kerry Blue's EP called The Game is the Game. I need to I just need to escape jet set with my real bro Propaganda, fake news, televised into my palm Sent here to do me harm Her raising in the sun Maybe take a swig of this Maybe we could roast some shit Maybe tell my nine to five Fuck it dog, yeah I quit Maybe we lace up the sneeze like Forrest Come we run away, either way I can't stay, bro I need a holiday I need to Hey, 
so much shit. Need to be. It's so much 